3: Uh, This is All Things Considered. I'm Robert Siegel. Now a new feature on our show, Celebipedia, where we ask celebrities to go on the internet, research, and write a biography on someone whose influence has uh, made a difference in our society. Today, Anthony Michael Hall tells us about Mr. Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder was born Gene Wilder in
4: Warm Springs, Missouri, to a father and mother. He was raised poor and grew up. When he was 14, he was a teenager. Then he turned 15 and was not 14 anymore. He was 15. That's when things started to get weird. He was walking down the street one day when a tall man asked him for the time. Never having learned to tell time nor taught any social mores, Gene lashed out and severely beat the man about the head and shoulders with a large stick he carried called Apocalypse. Apocalypse. He was taken away to jail. At his trial, he pled insanity and was sent to Great Britain, where he learned fencing, toll painting, and acting. He spent 40 years in England, achieving the rank of Grand Mustachioed Admiral in the Royal Navy. He then moved back to America to see what was going on with women's rights. It was on a weekend on Long Island where he first encountered ranch dressing. It was this encounter that would shape the rest of his life. He starred in many movies like Producing, Ch- Chocolate Factory Times, Blazed Sadlings, and Young Dracula. But it will be bringing ranch dressing to the masses as a dipping sauce for french fries, buffalo wings, and other bar-related foods that will endear him to America. Gene Wilder is quoted as saying, Ranch dressing isn't just for
3: salads, it's for a lot of other things too. He was right. Uh, that was Anthony Michael Hall. Uh, coming out tomorrow, Grace Jones on Louis Pasteur and his well-known love of macrame and fantasy football. <laughs> apparently. But now, it's... It's... <laughs>
2: show. It's going to be a good one tonight. We have the Third Angle Chamber Ensemble with us tonight, and they are going to perform a piece with Eve Beglarian. The piece is actually based on her trip down the Mississippi River, and it's stunning. And author and screenwriter John Raymond joins us tonight. His most recent film, Meek's Cutoff, with Michelle Williams, is about to open in theaters across the country. And our musical guest is the up-and-coming Northwest favorite, uh, with songs from their new record, All Right You Restless, Ages and Ages Are Here. (laughs) It's going to be a good show, but please meet the amazing members of Faces for Radio Theater, Mr. Tyler Hughes, Sean McGrath, the beautiful Val Landrum, the stunning Pat Janowski, our siren of sound. And as per usual, poet Scott Poole, author of Hiding from Salesmen, will take one single hour, the time it took Anais Nin to polish her umlaut, to write a poem that encompasses all that we've learned tonight. So, welcome, Scott, and get writing. We can't do any of it without our extraordinary house band. Please welcome Ralph Huntley and the Mutton Chops. We're going to talk to writer John Raymond later in the show, and he wrote the screenplay for Kelly Reichardt's film, Meek's Off*. And the film is based on a particularly tragic story of some folks who chose to branch off from the Oregon Trail through the Malheur Mountains to avoid being attacked by some Native American tribes. They weren't sure what was going to happen, but they were worried. Much of the film is just these stunning shots of this brutal desert landscape um, and the families that they just trudged through what seemed like hundreds of miles on foot and as i watched it i imagined the um three minutes i would have survived on the trip uh before saying you know what (laughs) you guys i am spent (laughs) i am just spent i'm just gonna like you know what i'm just gonna hang out here you guys go ahead i'm gonna hang out here till they like invent the airplane or whatever uh, because seriously, I wore the wrong shoes for this. And who wears a long dress, you know, in the desert? I don't know what I was thinking. Am I, am I hosting a cocktail party? I don't think so. <laughs> so anyway, and I totally have like bonnet hair under this ridiculous hat. Blah. So you guys just go ahead. If you have like, I don't even know, like a Marie Claire or Bazaar or something, to you could leave for me to read. That'd be awesome. Um, but they didn't. That's the thing that you noticed as you watched it. They had nothing. Like, they had to, you know, talk to each other. That was the only entertainment. Because, you know, once you read the Bible 40 or 50 times, it ceases to be as funny as it was the the third or the eighth time. Um, so you have to, you have to needlepoint or knit and relate to one another, which just sounds creepy. Um... The modern and decidedly more comfortable version of this, of course, is the road trip, right? I was talking to a friend who has one of those DVD players in his car for his kids to watch on long road trips, and I thought, where are these kids going to learn to negotiate for that one extra inch of back seat, you know? (laughs) Or that the world is a horrible, unfair place where you are trapped with your brother and all the sights, sounds, and smells that that entails you know because we we because we grew up in the age of television dinners and road trips were pretty much the only times that my family was forced to actually speak to one another you know not that it was pleasant it was the very unpleasantness that taught us that we could endure anything right like hours of sweat on the backs of your legs as the skin met lime green vinyl like bruises upon bruises on your upper arms after losing the 400th game of slug bug because of your heretofore undiscovered astigmatism. I couldn't see them. (laughs) And finally, finally giving in and singing along with your mom's Manilow Live 8-track while looking out the window so your brother can't tell you're smiling. So, yeah, those of us who grew up before the in-car DVD players have our own harrowing tales to tell of the... Disneyland trail and Uncle Bob's cut-offs, and the deep, inescapable gorgonzola-like stench of a Cheeto and spilled milk encrusted floor baking in the California sun. <laughs> These are the things that we have survived. God, we're wusses. Anyway, moving on to our musical guests tonight. Uh, they have just released their first record on Knitting Factory Records. Uh, To try to recreate, they have these tent revival-like shows, and to try to recreate that, they actually played their songs live as a full unit, and they sang into a shared microphone, which doesn't happen very often. Normally, you record all the the instruments separately. Uh, The result is a record that's warm and intimate and large and in charge all at the same time. With songs from their new record, All Right You Restless, please welcome Ages and Ages. (laughs) Wow. Welcome to the show, Tim. Thank you. You know what? That, I think, is what the Partridge family would have sounded like if they were good.
5: (laughs) I I happen to think the Partridge family was good.
2: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you may may be right. But it's, it's so joyous. Um, And and we talked a little bit backstage just about um, how it can be frustrating. I think a lot of bands feel like they can't really, uh, they have to be ironic and they they can't really wear their hearts on their sleeves and, hey, look, I might actually be happy. Um, (laughs) What do you think? Do you think that this is, that you're doing something that not a lot of people are doing or that people are just starting to be able to actually Uh, admit that they're happy?
5: Well, (laughs) I wouldn't want to say we're doing something that, a lot of people haven't done or hasn't been done or whatever but also I think not just in music in general I think people too I mean it's hard to kind of know when to be modest and when to be honest and when to when to just sort of come out and say this is how I feel and, and this is what I think about this movie I liked this movie mm-hmm. you know? right I did not like this movie <laughs> Um,
2: I liked this movie and not ironically. Right, I actually exactly. enjoyed it. Or, yeah. or
5: I liked it, but here's a bunch of uh, caveats that you know won't put me in bad esteem if you didn't like it, and therefore this, you know, it's these. You know right. what I mean? They're just like sure. I liked the movie.
2: Yeah. 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 Screw you. I enjoyed it. <laughs> Yeah, um, so I, I actually did, I, I, we want to hear another song, but I wanted to ask a quick question because I read in one review of your record, um, and it was about your record and the sort of the tent revival-like atmosphere of your shows, uh, they said ages and ages didn't start as a cult, but there's a good chance it could grow into one. <laughs> so, and this is for everybody, really, um, if you did have a cult, what would the cult's tenets be, and what would, your, what would you ask your followers to wear?
6: There's
5: a, I'm not going to name any names, but there's a person in this band who constantly asks us what we are going to wear. <laughs> and Invariably, one of us botches the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and today it was me.
2: Uh, you wore plaid instead of what?
5: I, I, well, I was going to wear more solid kind of blue kind of thing, but then I didn't get a chance to go home.
2: Mm-hmm. So any I, idea what the tenets might be tenets? of the cult?
5: Tenets? Uh, boy, I guess uh, just... Uh, do you know harm and, 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 and keep your place uh, far away and under the radar? Don't, don't make a peep. Just us. It's just us here. <laughs> uh,
2: so you're clearly allowed to make some peeps, however. We, we make peeps
5: only amongst ourselves, you know? It's, it's a collective. It's a compound. Uh-huh.
2: We? <laughs> well, Tim, it was a, a great pleasure to talk to you, and you're going to come back later and sing another song for us. We certainly will. Thank Wonderful. You. Tim Perry and Ages and Ages.
3: Music on tonight's live wire is brought to you by Dave's Killer Bread. And the bread of the week, rockin' rye this week. He plays a mean guitar solo, but not the long noodling kind. He's also full of sweet caraway rye, whole grains, and has more groupies than a plaid clad, be bearded indie pop band on treadmills. Dave's Killer Bread, just say no to bread on drugs. Coming up, Third Angle with Eve Biglarian, author and screenwriter John Raymond, and poet Scott Poole. We'll be right back.
7: Charles, what, mom? You haven't heard a word I've said, have you?
4: Yeah, you said something about Bob or whatever. I don't
7: know. No, I said it's time for you to get off my couch and get a job. What now, mom? Yes, now.
4: <laughs> Why the Teletubbies are on? Come on.
7: Okay. You're 31 years old. That show is for 2-year-olds. You're 29 years past the Teletubbies sell by date. Oh no. No, I'm
4: I'm not. They're they're timeless. Okay? They're ageless. Their youthful vigor, their enthusiasm for the everyday, their joyful exuberance at every insignificant event. In fact, they remind me a little bit of you, mom.
7: <sighs> I remind you of one of those fat purple guys. Yeah.
4: No, no no no. I'm it, it's your, your innocent joy, yeah. That's it.
7: You're the one who looks like a Teletubby sitting here on your slanket, giggling mindlessly at the TV all day.
4: Okay, well, <laughs> the only way I'd be a Teletubby is if you and uh, Tinky Winky hooked up and I was the result of said union, which would be impossible because I heard he's
3: gay.
7: Happy! Happy. I'm sorry, did you just suggest that I might have had an affair with Tinky Winky? Because that's A, crazy, and B, disgusting. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Are you
4: saying that when you have sex, it's disgusting?
7: Uh-oh. No, I'm talking about me having sex with a Teletubby is disgusting. I am not a furry. Furry?
4: Mom, I, I'm not talking about it. I'm just referring to it. If I was talking about it, well, I'd be describing it like positions and tools, and Yucky. you know, philosophical approaches and practical concerns. All the while trying to incorporate the sights, the sounds, the smells, Ew. the taste, and uh, the touch, touching in order to cast a clear picture of the in the listener's mind of you and Tinky Winky, you know, getting busy and. Uh,
7: okay, that's it. I give up. At least clean up this basement. It's a pit down here.
4: I will, I will. Man.
3: Jolly. Whoa, who said that? It's me, Tinky Winky. No way. Uh, Charlie, your mother's right. You've got to stop watching us. But you're so adorable, you know. And... Right, right, I know. Well, I'm so off the charts endearing that I can't bloody abide myself. But we're a show for babies, Charlie. It was kind of funny when you were 17, but now it's just creepy. Creepy! Okay, but... No know, you... th- no, buts, Charlie. The whole conversation about your mother and I doing the deed, that's just disrespectful.
4: Yeah, I should probably apologize to her
3: No, no, not to her, to me I mean, she was kind of hot back when you were a kid Lala and I used to talk about having a go mm. But now she has a mustache and, Yeah Well, it's just gross Yeah, so you're, you're not gay then, huh? Oh, I can't believe you bought into that No, straight as an arrow mm. Lala's gay mm-hmm. And Poe Yeah And Dipsy of course. Yeah, well And the see. baby in the sun, she's eighteen now. She went to the prom with a massage therapist named Harmony. Harmony oh. oh, no. Okay, well you
4: know what I'm gonna go I'm gonna go print out my resume. Yay!
3: Good for you, Charlie. All and, right. and change out of those sweats. We can smell them all the way over here in Teletubby Land.
2: Teletubbies by Pachinowski. Third Angle Ensemble is a chamber music ensemble that's been in the Northwest for 25 years. Tonight they'll be performing a piece by composer and musician Eve Beglarian, who took a trip down the Mississippi River starting at its source at Lake Itasca in Minnesota in 2009. On the trip, she talked to the people along the river, she recorded the sounds around her, and she wrote music that she performed with members of the communities along the way. Tonight, even members of the Third Angle will play a piece of the resulting composition of that trip, One Mississippi, River as a Muse. Please welcome Third Angle and Eve Biglarian to Livewire. <laughs>
8: Music, there's
2: Blessinger from the Third Angle Ensemble. That was beautiful. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, absolutely stunning. So, this, the, whole, the piece as a whole is inspired by this trip. Can you talk about what inspired the, the piece that you just performed? Uh, this piece is called I Am Really
9: a Very Simple Person. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was inspired by something a friend of mine said, or a woman that I met on the river. Um, said, and I thought that she was not at all a simple person, so I would write a piece for her.
2: And so what she had said to you was, I'm a very simple person, and you didn't believe her. I am
9: really a very simple person.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So what actually inspired you to take this trip? Well, in 2008,
9: with the crash of the markets and all of that stuff, along with the election of Obama, I sort of felt like simultaneously that the country was mine again for the first time in a very, very long time. And and that the economic crash mm, in the Depression, they sent writers and artists and musicians out to experience the country, the WPA project, the Writers' Project, all these really sort of incredible projects that transformed American art for the whole rest of the century. And that I didn't think the federal government was going to do that even with Obama in office. Yeah. And that I was going to have to do it myself. And so that's what I did. <laughs> you know?
2: It's a great idea. And I know you spoke to people. I know you collaborated with them musically. You also just recorded sounds when you were on the trip. What sorts of sounds were the most inspiring and how did you go about recreating them musically?
9: Well, I think so far, the nature sounds are the are the things that i'm actually working with um, most directly and and one of them was frog sounds that I recorded one night they woke me up in the middle of the night in Iowa, and they were definitely playing in rhythm, so I just sort of tightened it up a little bit, and mm-hmm. there, that's the percussion track for the tune. So, so. it's
2: the actual frog sounds. It's the you actual didn't... frog sounds. That's... I didn't
9: yeah, yeah, electronicize. They were,
8: they were <laughs> pretty cheap, don't
2: they? Yeah, they really. You yeah, know,
9: <laughs> There's no union for frogs. It's
2: a sad thought. And how was it that you <laughs> hooked was... up with Third Angle on this?
1: Well, um, I read about... I've known about Eve's music for, for many, many years, and I read um, a story in the New York Times that, that you know, wrote about the journey... And it just occurred to me, you know, that this would be a great opportunity to, to experience the journey with her and learn about that part of the country, especially through the perspective of a really brilliant artist. So, um, so we're working, we have created an evening of chamber music um, that is based on that journey. So,
2: And you'll uh, part of the, the story is, is that people will be able to see photographs and hear you tell some of the stories that you heard.
9: Yes, so it's a definite multimedia show. There's video, visuals, reading, text.
2: Well, it's absolutely beautiful. I hope as many people as possible come and see it. Thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you, and Third Angle Ensemble.
3: That was Third Angle and composer Eve Biglerian, and you're listening to Livewire, brought to you in part by Whole Foods Market. To remind you that April is Earth Month, but that doesn't mean you should just buy the Earth chocolates and flowers and then forget about it for the rest of the year. <laughs> Do something green every day, like re- using reusable shopping bags every time you shop. More information can be found at WholeFoodsMarket.com.
7: How's your chicken?
4: Mm, excellent, it's really, really excellent. This
7: is fun. I'm glad you asked me out.
4: I'm glad I did too. You know, you're much prettier than your okay cupid picture.
7: <laughs> oh well, I was going through an awkward phase when that was taken.
4: Oh, how long did that last? 26 years. Oh, well, it's uh, it's over now. That's for sure.
7: No, oh, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so what do you do?
4: Uh, you mean for a living? Yeah. I'm a superhero.
7: Right. <laughs> no. <laughs> Seriously.
4: Seriously? I am a superhero.
7: Okay. I'll bite. I hope
4: not too hard. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I'm allergic to most bites, so
7: oh, don't well, break the skin. Oh, uh, well, anyway, um, what kinds of superpowers do you have?
4: Oh, my gosh, so many. Uh, okay, you know when you have something on your back and you're not sure if it's a skin tag or not? I can look at it and tell you if it's a skin tag or not. Ew. I'm sorry, I'm just trying to explain here. So
7: you're actually a dermatologist?
4: No, uh, superhero.
7: So you can remove it? Remove what? The skin tag.
4: No, you gotta go to a dermatologist for that.
7: Oh, well, I...
4: The whole medical but, licensing you, deal, malpractice insurances. Whew, through the roof.
7: For dermatologists? No,
4: superheroes. Oh. That's why I keep my superpower list really basic. All right. No showboating. Okay. Boating insurance? Also expensive, FYI.
7: You have a list? Um, What else can you do?
4: Uh, Let's see. Uh, You know when your toast, uh, it's not burned, but it's definitely too hard to eat? Yeah? I can warn you when that's about to happen.
7: Doesn't the toaster warn you?
4: Well, not all the time. Otherwise, we would never have toast that's not burned, but definitely too hard to eat.
7: I guess that's true, but... Also, um, I can
4: sense when people are about to forget a birthday or anniversary.
7: Couldn't you just use an iCal or Facebook or, like, an iPhone app?
4: I don't know what any of those words mean. But speaking of phones, you know how sometimes you write down somebody's number, but you're one number off? Yeah? I can figure out which number is wrong.
7: Are you psychic?
4: No, I just help you make a bunch of calls to different numbers and eventually...
7: Okay, okay. I, I, I think superhero is not really the word you're looking for. I think it's unemployed.
4: Oh, come on. Would an unemployed guy be able to tell you where the 7-Eleven is on Powell?
7: It's on Powell.
4: Dang it. Or how about help you remember the name of that actor from Blood Simple, you know, who gets his... uh,
7: M. Emmett
4: Walsh. Duh. okay, well, how about... uh, I can tell the difference between Diet Coke and regular Coke. Please,
7: one tastes good, the other tastes like a sea otter's
4: breath. My God. Your powers, they're extraordinary. (laughs) You must be... You can't be! I am my nemesis girl girl i always knew we'd meet again
7: no you didn't
4: regular man
7: but i did because i had our meeting in my eye Ha!
4: don't try to blind me with your modern toys and trinkets what do you want from me
7: i'd like to propose a detente you see i have a toilet handle that needs jiggling and i'm guessing you could use some help with your technology
4: fine i'll help you with your commode you help me with my commodore 64.
7: fine let's go <laughs> the check is 42.30. do you have 21 bucks
4: <laughs> are you kidding of course not
7: okay yeah i i thought so let's go let's go <laughs>
2: Our next guest, book of short stories, Livability, won the Ken Kesey Award for Fiction in 2009. He wrote the short stories that inspired Kelly Reichardt's films Old Joy and Wendy and Lucy and collaborated with Reichardt on the latter. His most recent film is Meek's Cutoff, a beautiful but brutal story about early Oregon settlers who lose their way, starring Michelle Williams. He also recently co-wrote the critically acclaimed HBO miniseries Mildred Pierce with Todd Haynes. Please welcome John Raymond to Livewire well welcome to the show john it's great to have you you here again we we talked to you i think it was about three years ago was it that long wow
0: not very long ago yeah yeah actually um embarrassing i'm actually wearing the same shoes that i wore the last time um which i know because they did an article about you guys soon after that appearance that had a picture they used a picture of me on the show Mm -hmm. in the oregonian and that picture is now up in my mom's uh kitchen so i'm reminded of my appearance like on a very frequent basis right when you go
2: to see your mom yeah we love that about you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so um I, I wonder if you can uh briefly tell the tale of of Stephen Meek for people just to give them a little bit of perspective about what this with the story is yeah
0: um stephen meek is uh he was a a sort of a lesser mountain man um, back in the mid nineteenth century uh, he's the brother of Joe meek, who is one of the big really legendary mountain men of the of the trapping era um, Stephen meek is most well known for um, a, a famous episode uh, on the early, early Oregon Trail in 1845. He was commissioned by a, a group of emigrants who were um, coming, trying to get to the Willamette Valley um, to guide them over the Cascade Mountains. And he told them that he had a shortcut, that he knew a, a way that was sort of more uh, a more southerly route rather than going all the way up to the Columbia Gorge. <clears throat> As it turned out... Um, he didn't really know the way and this uh group of uh pioneers got lost in the eastern oregon high plains desert for weeks and um uh you know numerous died and it was a, a very bad scene yeah they
2: ran yeah. out of water it was very rocky they lost a lot of their wagon yeah. wheels and actually What's there's fun? amazing
0: things about it. there's actually uh, apocryphally they also discovered gold while they were wandering around out there but they were like so thirsty and hungry that they didn't um Care And um, there have been, uh, like, numerous expeditions out into Eastern Oregon to try to find this blue bucket mine, um, which has yet to ever materialize.
2: Yeah. So how did you discover Stephen Meek's story?
0: Um, Well, this is a kind of funny story. Um, You might remember back a few years ago, there was a housing boom in this country. Um, And um, (laughs) around that time, the... The oligarchs of the West Coast seemed to decide that Bend, Oregon was going to become the next Aspen, and there's a lot of building going on out there, to the degree that some of those developers were, like, hiring fancy branding companies in Portland to name their properties and give them kind of instant heritage, and um, it was one of the strange freelance jobs that I ended up doing, Uh um, naming a golf course in Bend, (laughs) and... um, so, you know, when you're doing that kind of job, you do a little bit of research into what's being destroyed to create this thing. And um, <laughs> um, that involves you know, some local history. So, um, anyway, I found, the, I found the story just in rummaging around doing that, and it, it stuck with me, yeah.
2: Yeah, and... and- Why did you... I mean, the the stories that that you and Kelly have have told in the past have been set in current times. They haven't been based on true stories. What made you feel like you wanted to tell the story now?
0: Well, one of the interesting debates going on amongst the... It's actually a pretty well-documented episode in Oregon history. There's a lot of journaling going on among us, particularly the women um, in this particular group. And... um, one of the actual debates going on among the pioneers was uh, whether their leader, Stephen Meek, was evil or stupid. Um, and that just sort of set off certain bells for me as far as, you know, leadership models at the time. Huh. Um, right. In, this yeah. was in 2007. This was in 2007 or so, yeah. But, you know, <laughs> it is a sort of an eternal political question, I think. Yeah. You know, like how much do you allow your leaders to sort of think for you? How much do you seed your own authority to, you know, to other people. And, um, you know, this became a a nice little microcosm to explore, you know, some of the real fundamentals of, of how a community decides something.
2: Well, and what's interesting about your films is that there's a lot of uncertainty... Um, in them and I think that very often when people go to get go ready to, for
0: a lot more uncertainty in yeah
2: world. I'm looking forward to <laughs> yeah. it um, I think that a lot of times when people go to movies they sort of want that nice present that you know that's all tied up in the bow at the end and you seem to love you do the opposite of that at the end of all of your films like you love these frayed edges why, why do you think frayed edges are better?
0: I don't know um, I don't know endings are just overrated I think in some ways you know I mean um, hopefully you've come to something hopefully the process of, of viewing and experiencing something as uh you know pleasurable throughout and then you know of course you want like a good ending I mean I don't think that our endings have been like totally non-endings I think they have been endings in a different sort of tradition of endings perhaps you know I mean these are like you know these are like real art movies in a sense they're not like um you know your romantic comedies that you see or something they are like they just are obey different rules I think
2: Well, I found it hilarious. (laughs) Oh my God. When the horse died, (laughs) shut up. Um, no, actually, the horse does not die in this movie, or I couldn't have seen it, probably, <laughs> yeah. without sobbing. Um, what, there, there was a really interesting th- that thing that Kelly Ruckert did with this film, which was um, visually and orally, she kept mm-hmm. us out of the story, yeah. uh, out of the decision-making process. The women would, would be filmed... We'd, we'd actually see the women's perspective, and they would just be able to watch the men far away discussing important right. issues... Um, what was the reason for you for telling the story from that perspective?
0: I mean, at this point, like, almost every Western is a revisionist Western of some kind. It's like, I think, you know, since 1960 or something, they've probably all been revisionist in some way. Um, I, uh, I read the obituary of the guy who created Bonanza last year, and he thought of Bonanza as a revisionist Western, um, which in a way makes sense. I mean, it, you know, he was... For him, like, the family was the sort of protagonist of yeah. the Westward expansion. It wasn't about the sort of lone gunslinger and this kind of cult of, um, you know, redemptive violence. Um, and I think uh, this also... Uh, Meek's cutoff would classify as a, as a revision of the Western genre, and I think for myself and for Kelly, the interesting angle to take on it was to really do it from the women's perspective um, and just to see what happens when you... Um, when you turn the women into the real protagonist, and you know that literally there would be this gulf as far as the you know decision making goes, and there would be just a, a, a radically different experience, and yeah. um and uh you know amazingly that hasn't really been done so much, I guess. So um that 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 was our our angle.
2: Yeah, certainly not in westerns. Yeah, right. Um, and I want, I wanted to move on quickly to to Mildred Pierce, which you worked with director Todd Haynes to co-write the script for that miniseries, It's on HBO. Um, and he's really the first filmmaker that you've collaborated with since Kelly, and you've done three movies with Kelly. So how did the collaboration with Todd Haynes compare?
0: Todd is someone who I've, I've known for a while and have had conversations with um, for a long time, and so it was, an, it was an easy, friendly kind of relationship to have. Um, it was also it was working with Todd, but it was also the first time adapting another person's work in a way, and that right. just turns out to be a very different experience. Um, is, um, it,
2: is it harder to adapt someone's
0: to I, I'm sure material could,
2: than to create something from nothing? Or? I think
0: it could be harder. Um, in this case, with James Cain, there's so much kind of movie. DNA in his books already that it adapts pretty easily like it's not a real struggle it's not he's not a crazy experimental novelist or something and Mm -hmm. his scenes more or less break down as you would probably want to make a film anyway um, I mean it's um, in some ways it is a lot easier I mean yeah you're given the voices you're given the people you're given the situations I mean really all the heavy lifting has been done before you get there and a lot of it ends up being kind of problem solving in some ways which I'm sure could be really arduous in certain ways too but uh, in this case it actually was it, it fell together fairly easily yeah you,
2: yeah you just sort of saw it as as, as multiple problem solving yeah issues. i mean you know
0: we had to do stuff we had to invent things here and you yeah. know plenty but um but really i mean when when you're given characters that are as vibrant as canes it's um you know you're kind of starting on third base or something
2: right. well in the film uh, that was made in the 40 it was in the 40s right
0: yeah I think yeah with
2: Joan Crawford it was an award it was an academy award winning film for her, but I read that you didn't w- watch that film at all
0: well i I read the book um first and I've tried to watch the movie a couple of times but um they take such liberties like within the first couple of minutes that I just turn it off it's like i'm i really i i I like the book enough that i don't don't want to pollute my mind with certain images that have happened i i mean they were at the time Kane was known for his hard boiled kind of noir Crime stuff, and so they turned Mildred Pierce into a crime thing. I mean, there's like a gun that shows up in the movie um, within the first few seconds, and that just is really antithetical to the book. And it just it always bothered me too much. Although Mm -hmm. I think I will, I feel like I've earned the right to watch it now, so I probably will soon. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah.
2: you absolutely should. (laughs) You're um, just before you go. It's it's it seems interesting to me that it it seems like a pattern for you that you're writing these these sort of women in trouble. and I wonder for you, has that changed your relationship at all to the women in your life? Or do you know <laughs> women better because you've been writing them? Or?
0: Um, I, don't, I don't subscribe to the idea that women and men are that different from each other. Um, like, in the range of the universe, like we're about as similar as creatures can be. So um, uh, it doesn't... Honestly, the male versus female protagonist thing doesn't... Uh, I feel like they're all sort of the same thing.
2: They're all you a little bit, probably. <laughs> yeah,
0: right. <laughs> I am Kate Winslet. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. <laughs> yeah.
2: So what's your next project?
0: Um, well, I've got a novel that will be out in about a year, so there's still some revising to do on that. Um, there's a script with Kelly that is, God willing, will go ahead. and. Um, Great. Um, yeah, that's about. That's the main stuff for now.
2: Well, it was wonderful to have you. We're going to have Todd on in a know, couple of weeks, and we hope you'll come too. to that that's show. Great. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us, thank John you. Raymond. Thank you.
0: Screenwriter for Meeks Cutoff.
2: You're listening to Live Wire Radio, and it's time for the. audience haiku we have asked our audience to expound on three subjects in the form of haiku road trips superheroes and slackers faces for radio theater have chosen their favorites and will now read them with the help of ralph huntley tonight's haiku is as always brought to you by the new belgium brewing company this month featuring the mighty arrow pale ale the new mighty arrow pale ale named for the brewery's beloved dog arrow it'll make you want to sit speak and rub that belly And if you do it right, hair of the dog needn't be an issue. And now, audience haiku!
4: Hey, Ralph, do you got a little uh, Cats in the Cradle? Something like that? A little bittersweet, fatherly tune? Road trips at seven on my dad's lap helping him drive and drink his beer. (laughs) Thanks, Nate.
7: Hi, Ralph. Can I get a little um, town is Van Zanty, Willie Nelson, with a little bit of hope mixed in? <laughs> From New York City to Boulder, Colorado, now I can't stand you. <laughs> Thanks, Anne Marie. <laughs>
3: And now, from the audience to read his very own haiku on the topic of slackers, please welcome Lincoln.
0: Lincoln! Can I get something sort of Uh, sitar-ish? No disrespect intended to sitar music. What to write? Not sure. Nothing is coming to me. Oh well. Hope that's cool.
2: <laughs> Thank you, Lincoln, slacker. Great job on the audience haiku.
3: You're listening to Live Wire Radio, the only radio variety show that dares to ask the question, are you, are you going to wear that? I mean, it's fine if you are. I'm just, I'm just making sure. Okay. To download our podcast, search for Live Wire Radio on iTunes or visit our website at livewireradio.org.
2: Once again, ages and ages. Now, as promised, he's been working very, very hard for the last 56 minutes to help us digest all that's happening in the last hour. Please welcome back poet Scott Poole.
10: What I Learned Tonight by Scott Poole. I learned tonight that being a superhero might not be so super. It's such a great responsibility, saving everyone all the time. It'd be like coming over on the Oregon Trail. Ouch. It would be so epic and grounding and life-affirming. I'm not ready for that right now. But I don't think I would mind being a barely adequate hero, though. Kind of like Robin, but not quite that adequate. Kind of like Robin with a paunch in the wrong shoes. Robin who just wants to eat a Marie Claire. Kind of a bitchy Robin whose pants are too tight. A Robin that always wants to read you a quote out of the Bible, but doesn't know where it is, so as he's shuffling pages, he's saying, hold on a second, bad guy, because I'm looking for a pithy phrase that comes right after holy. I think it's in loop. Just Hold on. Hold on. One of my superpowers would be traveling with the band at all times, like ages and ages. Like before we get in this fight, we're all going to have a revival that will match my pithy phrase that begins with holy. And we're all going to put down our guns and we're all going to clap and have a good old time and praise the heavens. Because a good number of us are just about to get our ass kicked by Batman and be sent to the hospital. And I'm not saying who, but you got to know that Batman and I are pretty tight. I'm just saying. Another one of my superpowers would be that I know how to outsource some of my superhero work to out-of-work Teletubbies. (laughs) So while Batman is doing all the work, I have someone to have drinks with and kind of hang out on the sidelines to critique the old Batmaster's punches. And if the words popping up like boff and whammo and "kaplowy" are appropriate to the situation, those Teletubbies are kind of like barely adequate superheroes themselves. I could see them turning everything into a beautiful little song like the 3rd Annual Ensemble singing "Buff, buff, whammo, whammo Kaplowee, kaplowee, kaplowee <laughs> This is about the time Batman would say For the love of all that's holy, stop singing and get over here and help me That's when I could say for all is holy, like holy robotic tofu burger, or holy limp and damaged hair, or holy dancing disco dynamite. Which holy are you referring to, Batman? I'm talking about holy crap, you're barely adequate. That's when I'd say, I love you too, Bat Baby, and give him the BA. The great sign of the barely adequate.
2: Scott Poole, everybody. That's our show for tonight. Thanks so much for listening.
3: Our thanks to our guests tonight, Third Angle Ensemble with Eve Baglarian, John Raymond, and Ages and Ages. The mutton chops are Ralph Huntley, Jim Brumberg, Dave Jorgensen, and Steve Berlin. Tonight's show was made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, and Dave's Killer Bread. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council, the Oregon Cultural Trust, the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation, and listeners such as you, fine people. Hotel accommodations generously provided by the Hotel Deluxe. Livewire is created by Kate Sokoloff and Robin Tannenbaum. Our senior producer is Robin Tannenbaum. The show is produced by Courtney Hommeister and Jim Brunberg faces for radio theater are writers Courtney Hommeister, Sean McGrath, and Scott Poole, and performers Tyler Hughes and siren of sound Pat Janowski. our guest writer this week is Jason Rouse our guest performer was Val Landrum our recording engineer is Jonathan Newsom. house sound by Jeffrey Hilton Simmons stage management by Matt King for more information about Livewire or to subscribe to our podcast visit our website at livewireradio.org and this is Tyler Hughes saying this is the Spanish Inquisition <laughs> bet you didn't expect that Whatever ever does
1: Wouldn't it be amazing to have a piping hot episode of Livewire delivered? right to your heart and ears each week. Well, guess what? That can happen when you subscribe to the Livewire podcast feed.